Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Um, I'm excited because we get to jump back into our Luke series. Uh, we took a bit of a break um, over the end, uh, the beginning of this year. Um, last week, unfortunately, the um, the podcast is, you need the gift of interpretation to understand what's happening with that. So if you're a little unclear on why we're doing this and how we're doing it, please talk to your life group leader or talk to one of the elders um, about that. Um, last time we were in Luke, Jason took us through the parable of the banquet. And the parable of the banquet was another parable that Jesus used to help us understand why he's come and the fact that everyone is welcome Um, at the banquets that Jesus is throwing. Now we are looking at Luke chapter 15, and I'm going to read the whole chapter. I want to ask you to posture yourselves. I'm going to pray, um, because one of the challenges we have in our contemporary society is the idea of the new and the novel. Um, Most of us have heard and read these stories. Even if you aren't of the Christian faith, these might actually be familiar to you. Um, But I'm going to pray, and then we're going to launch in. Father, I want to thank you that even as Sean said, you speak to us through your creation, Uh, you speak to us through the gift of your Spirit, and predominantly you speak to us through the Word of God preserved through the sacrifice of men and women that have given us a full account of your pursuit of the human race. Uh, We want to posture ourselves in a position of learning. We understand that this is not an academic, intellectual exercise, and we need your Holy Spirit to be able to lead us into truth. Luke 15, verse 1, I'm reading from the ESV. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with him. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who need no repentance." Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, uh, sorry, and when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said to them, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger one of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. Then he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs." And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. No one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, and some translations say, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and I will come, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. 
I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son who was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his oldest son was in the field and as he drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of his servants And he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, all these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours Come, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, and now he is found. I want you to remember how the series of parables started because it started at a table. And again, our, our Luke series is called tables and sinners, because the idea of sitting around a meal with someone was indicative of intimacy, of acceptance and inclusion. And these Pharisees are saying, why are these tax collectors and sinners here? Why are you eating with them? And Jesus is telling us the series of parables to show us what the correct posture towards people that are unworthy or unclean or lost The correct posture when people come to Jesus in this space is one of joy and celebration and excitement. Now, we know the prodigal son story very well. It's it's compelling. It's emotional. It's detailed. But I want to kind of give an overview this morning of the idea that Jesus is trying to get across to his original audience. And this is this. I have come, Jesus says, I've come to seek and save those that are lost. Those that consider themselves found should rejoice when we find lost people. And maybe those that consider themselves found are not as found as they think they are. So this morning I'm going to look at types of lostness, questions we should ask in our lostness, and then finally, how do we pursue those that are lost? As Christ followers, we've experienced both. The idea that we were lost and we were found... And also the fact that Jesus has invited us into the restoration of all things, just like he did with his disciples, to actually seek and save those that are lost. Now, your emotional response to losing something is directly connected to your perception of its value. So your emotional response to losing something is directly connected to your perception of its value. So I have lost a dog and a daughter, okay? How many of you know that... My emotions are governed by the perceived value of those two things. Now, now, the dog was lost. I still don't know where the dog is. You know, um, my daughter thankfully returned, and so there is the sense in which I can guarantee you that there was a greater sense of angst in my heart when one of my daughters wasn't around and was hiding under her covers. 
because she was eating her snack that she shouldn't have been eating. So when we were shouting for her, she didn't answer. And so we went out literally the parable of go out into the streets and compel them to come. My wife was in the middle of the street yelling for her. And the reason why she didn't respond was because she didn't want to get called. The same thing, our emotional response is also connected to the level of lostness that we feel. Uh, Our emotions are connected in the sense that I can be lost at a mall and I can be lost at a train station in Beijing in 2000 where there is no English. My emotional state is a little different. Uh, I used to work for uh, for an organization that uh, ran projects in the townships in South Africa, and one of the things that we were taught as we went into those townships is you always drive fast, you never admit that you're lost, and you certainly don't ask for directions because it's dangerous. And we're sitting there in Beijing trying to figure out where we're going. Uh, you've heard the story before, Karnas, freaking out. No one knows we're here. And I'm like, isn't this exciting? No one knows we're here. We're lost in Beijing. We have a story to tell. Who knows where we could end up this evening? That didn't seem to help her, you know? So, so our, our, our idea of how much danger we're in or how lost we are really informs the way in which we respond to our idea of lostness. And the first kind of lostness that we, we see is the one of unintentional wandering off. Now, I'm sure a lot of us have seen this video. Sean showed it last time. But this is really like epitomizes a lot of us. This is God taking us out of a mess that we have put ourselves in. We are so grateful. I'll take it from here. And now... I can tell you this, the sheep was not thinking to himself or herself, you know what, let me just, I didn't get it right last time, let me go straight back in there um, so that he can, he can pull me out. No, there's, sometimes our lostness is just because we are like sheep. It happens by mistake. We're not trying to hide, we're not playing hide and seek with God. It's, there's a sense of foolishness. There's no rebellion. Jesus often talks about goats and sheep. And um, in, in that kind of audience, people would have understood that goats are rebellious. Sheep are just stupid. So what happens is a lot of the times we get lost because of our immaturity, because of error, because of fear. There isn't a sense in which we are, we are going away from God. We, we haven't made a decision that actually, no, this is, this is not right. I'm trying to get somewhere else. Sometimes we get lost in this unintentional wandering because we've been led astray. How many of you guys have asked someone for directions? I mean, you're genuinely lost. You ask someone for directions, and even though you've asked them for directions, you know they can't be right because you just came from there. And oftentimes, they don't really care. They just want to end this conversation, so they just say whatever you do. I'm always stuck there thinking to myself, so, hey, Sean, which way should I go? Sean goes that way, and I'm like, and then I just go this way. One of the challenges with this unintentional wandering is we have people telling us consistently these are the directions in which we should go. And part of our lostness when it comes to being led astray is this idea of understanding who we need to listen to, someone that's been there. The second point of lostness is this idea of an unconscious lostness. Now, I know that the coin is an inanimate object, Uh, that it can't make any active choices. I'm not sure about that with my socks in the dryer, though. You know what I mean? I know that they're inanimate, 
But I also know that they're probably hiding from me because I cannot tell you how many single socks I have that haven't made it from the dryer to here. But now the coin isn't saying I'm going to get lost. There's the, the, the coin for me represents someone that maybe doesn't have an intimate understanding of God. There's no defiance here, but there just isn't a sense of seeking God. There's, there's just a sense of, I, I just don't believe that I'm lost. I don't believe that there is anything wrong. Um, but there's no, again, there's no malice. There's no rebellion. There's, there's no reason that Jesus gives in these first two parables for this lostness. But he does give a very detailed reason for the son's lostness. So we have this unintentional wandering off that we're all prone to. We have a sense of unconscious lostness where maybe we don't know God, we're not seeking Him, we're not anti-God, but we're kind of in that space where it doesn't really matter. And then we have active rebellion. And in verse 12, the youngest son said to the father, Father, give me my share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided the property between them. Not many days later, the young son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property, his father's property, on reckless or prodigal living. This comes out of a sense of rebellion, autonomy, and selfishness. Uh, this is where the young son wants the blessing of the father without the restrictions of the family. This is where not trusting the father is that, that is my father going to give me everything that I need? Because I've also confused the things that I need with the things that I want. Now, most of us have, have heard this parable before. Maybe some, some of us have taught it or discussed it. But I also think there might have been another reason. Outside of rebellion, outside of autonomy, outside of wanting things my way, which, which is dominant in all of us. I also think it's possible that the second son, and we know that in those cultures, the second son, like, there wasn't a whole lot of future for the second son. The first son was inheriting two-thirds of the property. He would get kind of, the, uh, kind of drawn into the family business. And I think it's possible that some of us participate in a sense of rebellion, not just because we are upset or angry, but because we are deeply lost in the sense that we don't know how we're going to fit into this family. I think sometimes as we don't give him enough credit as the, as the second son because there's, there's a sense in which I don't have a role or I don't have a purpose or I, I, feel, I feel kind of pushed aside and I may as well just kind of lean into that. The tragedy with all of this is that when you run from God, you always get lost. And, and you can feel like I'm running fast or like I'm running specifically to something, but running from God will always lead to a lostness. I mean, the last kind of area or type of lostness is this ignorant self-righteousness. And this we see in the older son. He comes in and he's angry. Verse 28 says, he refused to go in and his father came out and treated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property in parentheses and my property, because remember, that is also part of why the older son is annoyed. With prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. 
Can you be lost and not know it? Absolutely. Uh, Tim Keller's made, uh, I mean, his, his book, The Prodigal God, is amazing, where he talks about the fact that both of these sons were equally prodigal in the sense that, that the older son was present with the father, but there was no deep sense of intimacy, no joy, no celebration. There wasn't a sense of abundant life, just a sense of obligation. Here I am. And the older son, I can imagine, could be full of judgment, full of rage and pain. Or maybe he's just exhausted. You know, again, just like with the, oldest, I mean, with the youngest son, we're like, I'm stamping my feet, I'm going to do my own thing. With, with, the, with the older son, we think, yeah. And, and I'm sure there was, there was measure of like, man, you've messed up life for all of us. But I also do think sometimes with the older son, there's just a sense of, man, I'm so tired. I've been doing this for so long. And I just am not experienced this joy. And now this punk comes back. And there's joy and celebration. What are we celebrating? Are we celebrating the fact that he just destroyed our future, our inheritance? Is that what we're celebrating? No, we're celebrating that he was dead and he's alive. That he was lost and he's been found. I do want to say this, that not recognizing that we are lost is different from not admitting that we are lost. Now, I've been lost before and not known that I was lost I'll tell you the story. It makes me look real bad. So Karen loves these kinds of stories, right? Um, when I was a, a rookie uh, elder at Southlands, one of the things you had to do was pick up people from the airport, right? That's kind of one of those things. And uh, Terry Virgo, at that stage, was the leader of uh, New Frontiers International. I mean, he led a church planting organization that had planted churches in India and South Africa and Africa and Europe, et cetera, et cetera. And so they said to me, hey, will you go, will you go pick him up from the airport? And I was actually excited about, about doing that. I get to spend like 45 minutes with this man. I get to ask him a whole lot of questions, just kind of, you know, be, um, be there. Wendy was with him as well, so it was a major plus hub. I pick him up, and for whatever reason, this proper British man was hungry, and he wanted Jack in the Box. <laughs> Jack in the Box. Like, how weirdly specific... Is it for a British guy to want jack-in-the-box? Like, I could understand, like, McDonald's or Burger King, equally bad. Yeah, in and out he didn't want in and out you know, he wanted jack-in-the-box. And so I had to get him to a church planters conference, and I had 45 minutes to get him from LAX to, at that stage, Rock Harbor in, in Orange County. So I was, okay, fine. I look up on my phone, the closest jack-in-the-box. So we go to jack-in-the-box, we get him his whatever jack-in-the-box you get at jack-in-the-box. And, um, and then we start driving, and I get hopelessly lost, because now I'm, I'm not going in the direction that we had been coming from. So instead of admitting that I was lost, I, I take my earphones out, and I plug it into my phone. This is all while I'm driving. I plug it into my phone, I put the earphones on, and I, I get the directions, you know, from, you know, how to get from Jack in the Box to Rock Harbor. And I put the earphone in this ear, and I turn the phone over so that he can't see that I'm lost, you know. And I'm listening to the directions in 1,000 feet, via right, you know, you know what I mean, in, in this year. And in this year, I'm like, yes, okay. And then I'm asking questions. Anyway, I got hopelessly lost to the point where a man who didn't live here knew that we were lost. <laughs> and I still found it incredibly difficult to admit that we were lost. We, we ended up there late. Um, thankfully, they just switched his, um, um, his session for the, the next guy. But anyway, I'm telling you that story to say this. We all get lost. 
One of the difficulties that we have, and it's not just men, ladies, one of the difficulties that we have is admitting that we're lost. Is we cannot begin the journey to foundness unless we admit that we are lost. So some of the questions that we should ask ourselves in our lostness is kind of a, if you're in the sheep kind of wandering stage, where is the flock, where is the shepherd, and where is my home? You know, um, you must think, what is the matter with you? I, I get lost in malls, mainly because I never set foot in malls. So when I go somewhere, everything looks the same. And you know you stand at that one space, and you're looking at all the things. What is the most important dot that you need to find out? You are here, right? Um, without that, without knowing where our home is, where we want to go, and knowing where we are, we're never going to find our way back home. And some of the questions that we need to ask is, where is my flock? If I'm wondering, where is the rest of my community? Emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, geographically, presently, where are they that I can find them? Where is my shepherd? Where is the person that is supposed to be overseeing me, and where is my home? I think other questions we need to ask is, am I prone to wandering? Am I prone to wandering because of lack of maturity? Am I prone to wandering because of lack of wisdom? Am I prone to wandering because I always want something more? Am I prone to wandering because I compare what this person has with what that person has? Am I, am I prone to wandering because people can lead me astray? Do I end up in situations like that sheep that I didn't necessarily pursue that, but I've got to ask the question, why am I finding myself always stuck in a crack in the middle of the road? What is my father like and what am I like? This is probably the most important question. Verse 17 says, But he came to his senses and he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread to eat? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, ran, and embraced him and kissed him. You guys ever see an old man run? There's really not a very dignified way of an old man running. It just is, is not dignified. And I mean, we, we don't necessarily know how old this man was, but we know that, that he was older, running to his lost son. One of the things that we need to settle in our souls is do we really understand our father? And even in his pigsty, he knew this, that my father's character is such that even his servants have enough to eat. That that's the character of my dad. That I know my dad, that if I come to him and my dad will accept me as a servant, I'll at least have enough to eat. Part of the other question is, do we know ourselves? Well, we, we need to understand what led us here. We need to understand what prevents us from actually saying, Am I, I'm lost. Am I too proud to admit the filth that I'm in? I, I chose this. I, I got here. Or maybe I'm too full of shame. Maybe I'm too scared that I won't be received back. Maybe this idea of older brothers is so large in my mind that I can't get past it to see the welcoming face of my Father. The image and experience that we have of God our Father will definitely affect how I respond when I'm lost. Now this goes also to our family history. Our family history of failure, of sin, 
of rebellion and our response to that will also affect our openness to admitting that we're lost. I remember, I've told the story before, but I remember getting a brand new BMX bike and my mom and my dad said, now you treat this properly, no tricks and no funny business. <laughs> then, then you shouldn't have got me the bike, you know what I mean? So I remember getting on the bike and doing the jump up onto the crossbar and then onto the saddle, right? So no hands, and I'm going down the street, and I'm standing on the saddle of the bike, no hands, and then I, I hit a rock, and I went tumbling so bad. I trashed the bike, and I had, like, scars, and I was bleeding, and, um, and I remember thinking to myself, shoot, what am I going to do? I went to the back where the maid's quarters were, and I sat in the maid's quarters until I'd stopped crying and until she'd fixed me up and would fix the bike before I could go home. Now, I'm not telling you that story feels sad for me. I was definitely in the wrong, but I, I also want to tell you that story because some of you have had that experience. Some of you have had that experience where it's actually more fearful to return than it is to stay in the pigsty. Some of you have had that experience where not only will the older brother respond to me in that way, but I'm pretty sure the father will respond to me in that way. And one of the things that we need to remember is that is not the nature and character of our God. While he was a far way off, he had compassion on him. It's interesting for me that, that the first thing he, he did was he recognized this is his son who is covered in pig poop. This is his son who hasn't eaten in ages. And he looks at him and he recognizes him. And he says, that's my son. And I'm coming to get him. And there are many of you that have been hurt by that idea, just in terms of your relationships and your familial relationships, your, your other relationships. But I can tell you this, the nature of the Father is this. He is slow to anger, abounding in mercy, full of steadfast love and forgiveness. There is nothing that God will not be able to forgive. One of the, the reasons we know that both sons never understood their father was the fact that the young son, I'm sure, never had an anticipation of the father running to him. But the older son never knew that what he asked of the father, the father would have given him. We know that both of them didn't understand that. Which brings me to this point is like, and it sounds weird. The question that we've got to ask is where, where is my shepherd? Where is my flock? Where is my home? Where am I now so that I can get out of this? question we've got to ask is, do I understand what my father's like? Do I understand my own proclivities? And then thirdly, maybe there's some older sons here who actually need to say to God, can I have a party? Can I have a party? You do not have because you do not ask. James tells us that Jesus throughout Luke is saying, what kind of father doesn't want to give good gifts to his children? You never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And he said to him, son, you were always with me. All that is mine is yours. At any moment, you could have asked for anything, and I would have given it to you. It's possible that we're living with a sense of being angry and frustrated and feeling overlooked because we haven't asked Jesus. Now, we know James says you have not because you ask not, and when you do ask, you ask with unpure motives. Well, let's ask. Let's ask 
so that we can receive. Let's ask because part of God's kindness is actually to reveal our motive to us and actually say, this is not good for you to receive. There is never a no that we hear from God that is bad for us. We think it is, but it never is. How do we pursue those that are lost? So, so we understand through these series of parables, Jesus is telling us that there are types of lostness that don't all look the same. They're not caused by the same reason. They have different consequences. Uh, and we need to be able to understand what kind of person we are. And then also, as we are called to seek and save the lost, what kind of lostness is my friend experiencing in this context? And the questions that we should be asking. But how do we pursue those that are lost? I, I want to say this. This has brought me an immense amount of freedom, is being able to ask God, are they a sheep or are they a son? Because I think part of our problem as we seek others out is that we haven't asked God, is this person a lost sheep, a lost coin, or a lost son? And what is the difference? The difference is that he left the 99 in the country and he sought out the one. The difference with her is that she tore her house upside down. She put a light on. She, uh, she, she was diligent in her desire to pursue and find that coin. But the son has to come to his senses. And part of our challenge, I think, with our friends and family is that we haven't asked God for the wisdom of whether someone is a sheep, a coin, or a son. Because what is the most critical thing that needs to happen to that son? He needs to come to his senses. He needs to look around and he needs to say, I don't need to live like this. I know these are choices that I've made, but I can go back to my father. Part of the challenge that we have is that we visit too many people in the pigsty. We go there, we visit them, how are you doing, are things okay, I'm with you, we leave them in their pigsty. Sometimes they need to be left in their pigsty, not out of a sense of punishment, but out of a sense to actually say, do you want to be free from this pigsty? That's one of the things that we as a community need to ask God for the wisdom for. Are they a sheep? Are they a coin? Are they a lost son? We also need diligence, sacrifice, tenderness, and patience. We've got to ask ourselves a question. Am I on the lookout for someone who is prone to wonder? Now, there's a massive difference between an attitude of judgmentalism and vigilance. I'm just saying that we are all called to look out for each other in, in, in the sense of that we're wondering. How many of you would not tell someone that they're about to be lost or they're about to go down this road or, or whatever? And so one of the challenges that we have is we've got to ask ourselves the question, is there diligence that I feel towards the rest of my community with regards to wandering and lostness? The woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one, does she not light a lamp sweep the house, and seek diligently until she finds it. This is sacrificial. I mean, in those days, you didn't just flip on a light. I mean, it cost money to get oil to be able to light the lamp. So obviously, there was a sense of value that she had assigned to the coin. The same with the shepherd. There was a sense in which there was sacrifice and diligence connected with that. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if has not lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine and go after the one that is lost, and when he finds it, he lays it on his shoulders, 
rejoicing. It's possible that we can look for someone that's lost out of a sense of frustration and not out of a sense of care or tenderness. Like, I look for my wallet. These days more often than I choose to admit. It's never my fault. Someone has always moved my wallet from where I put it. You know? And so I'm looking for something with a sense of frustration. You know, because I, I can't admit that I can't remember where I put it or I put it somewhere else. This is not the kind of looking for that Jesus is calling us into when it comes to one another. There's the sense of deep love and affection. It's my brother and sister is wandering. My brother and sister is lost. My brother and sister is in a pigsty. God, you've got to help. You've got to help. I love her. I love him. I mean, he, he puts the sheep... On his shoulders, what tenderness, what patience. You know, I have the tendency of saying, oh, sheep, great, follow me, let's go. I found you, now let's go. And one of the things that I, that I fail to realize, and I'm beginning to realize more, is that when someone is lost, their capacity to follow is actually much, much less. They're in hurt. They're pain from a sheep's perspective. They're hungry. They may be injured. And one of the things that we need to realize is that it's not just the fact that Jesus brings us back. It's not just the fact that he pursues us, but it's how he pursues us that shows his deep love and affection for us. Band, you can come up. How do we respond when someone is found or returns? You know, it doesn't matter what the thing is. It doesn't matter what the reason for lostness was. There is one thing that is consistent through all three stories. Joy, celebration, excitement, and partying. That's how we respond. When someone is lost and they're found, that's how we respond. Now look, decisions have consequences. You know, the older brother is not wrong. He's not wrong in his recounting of the facts of what happened. It is tainted with his own hurt, but he's not wrong. It, this is a big deal. And the father never says to the son, don't worry about it. The father never says to the son, you haven't sinned. And I think sometimes, and we've mentioned this before in the context of Mercy Commons, sometimes when someone has returned or someone has sinned, and, and, the, and they've repented either to us or within the context of the community. We, we just want to say, it's okay. And what we need to learn to say, it's, it's not okay, but I forgive you. And there's a sense in which the father has not agreed, or rather disagreed that the son hasn't sinned. The most important thing for him is that I'm glad you're back. You are my son. Let's put a ring on your finger. Let's cover you with a robe of righteousness. Sunday worship is part of that celebration. When we gather at Sunday worship, we are rejoicing at our foundness and the foundness of our brothers and sisters. A season of welcome, a season of forgiveness, a season of celebration must always come before a season of accountability and restoration. You look at Jesus, what he modeled, when he sets people free, there isn't the sense of like, you're healed, now go and live the way you want. Jesus says, now go and sin no more. So this isn't a sense of do what you want, come back, there are no consequences. I don't know what happened with the young son. 
I don't know whether he got any of his money back. Probably not, because the father had to sell a portion of his property to give him the inheritance. But I can tell you this, is that the physical consequences do not compare with the emotional, spiritual consequences if we decide to stay in the pigsty. If we decide to kind of guard our own dignity and pretend like we're not lost. If we're more concerned about the glares of the older brother. Through each circumstance, through each type of lostness, even though the consequences are different, think about this. Angels rejoice when one sinner repents. The father rejoices when someone comes back and says, Dad, I'm back. And we're not going to talk about what, how, why. I'm just so glad you're back. And some of us are afraid of the what, how, when. Some of you just need to hear, just come back. Just come back. I have a ring for you. I have sandals for your feet. I have a robe for you. You are my son. He kissed him. He embraced him. He welcomed him in. Maybe you're there and you're in danger of wandering. Or you are lost. Jesus is looking down the corridor. Saying, I recognize her. I recognize him. I'm not going to sit here and have him do his speech. Prove that he's sorry. I'm going to run. And I'm going to embrace her. And I'm going to say, come home. It's safe here. Maybe you are living with an inaccurate view of the Father. Maybe you've smelt the stench of your pigsty. But you don't know that the Father is going to do that. You don't know that the Father is going to respond in this way. In fact, your experience is quite the opposite. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to break that off you this morning. He is a kind, loving Father, abounding in mercy, that rejoices in steadfast faithfulness. Or maybe there's someone in your sphere that is wandering or lost. May God give you the wisdom to pursue them. Are they a sheep? Are they a coin? Are they a son? We're going to sing this song. And uh, I just want to pray for you, and then we're going to respond in worship. I can't remember who said the purpose of theology is doxology. The purpose of opening the Word of God is for us to respond in worship. Jesus sought me when I was a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He rescued me from danger, bought me with His precious blood. Oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, like a chain, Bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Father, I pray. I pray for these precious men and women. I want to pray regardless of where they are, whether they're demanding their inheritance, whether they've just left, whether they're in the pigsty, whether they're coming home. God, I want to pray by the grace of your spirit, you would remind us you are slow to anger, abounding in mercy. I want to pray for those of us that 
that didn't leave out of rebellion. We're just, we're just a lost. How did I end up here? God, I want to pray that we would see you as the kind shepherd that looks after us. And I want to pray for those for whom spirituality isn't even a, a thing that I spend much time thinking about. God, I want to pray that like a coin, they would recognize that they've been found. Thank you, Nick. Um, I, was, uh, I was reminded of a... Uh, thing a pastor said when Nick was talking about the character of the father um, I heard a pastor one time say that religion is like you know oh man I messed up my dad's going to kill me and that the faith of Jesus the thing that Jesus shows us is oh man I messed up I need to call my dad and um, the character of God can be trusted and so we're going to respond as we normally do. There's communion. We're going to take communion together. There's a table in the back, and there's two tables here. This front one has wine. There's juice in these other two tables. And, um, but I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, pause in, in the same way that Nick shared with us this story that Jesus told of two different, two different brothers, two different people. That there is an invitation to both brothers, to both people. The first, both of them were carrying heavy burdens, really heavy. This morning, you may be feeling heavy. Whether it's the weight of the sin that you carry or the guilt or the shame or the embarrassment or whatever, it's heavy. God doesn't want you to carry that. Maybe it's the weight of frustration. You're the old, you, 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 you align more with the older brother, this obligation and frustration and, and, and kind of anger. That's also a weight. The father also went out to the older son to have a conversation with him as well and invite him in, not just to the house, but as Nick was talking about home, to invite him home. Maybe there's someone here today that you realize in this moment there's an observation of the reality that man I am I have definitively wandered off or maybe I've never been found and I'm not even totally sure there is an invitation right now where you sit the Holy Spirit these tables represent home the table the meal that's been offered and prepared free of charge and even now the Holy Spirit is running to you where you sit the Father is running to you right where you sit. If that's you and you have either never trusted Jesus or maybe you're coming back, we would absolutely love to run to meet you and pray with you. If you feel like there's heavy burdens that you're carrying from your own sin, your own shame, the Holy Spirit is coming to you. There will be people ready to and, and wanting to pray with you as well. You can drop that. You know when you're carrying something and it's heavy and your fingers, like, you know, like a heavy bag and it just, everything creaks? You can, you can let that go. You don't have to carry it. If you have had frustration towards God, He's not waiting to smack you around. He would, welcomes you as well. You can 
let go of that burden as well. There's going to be people to my left and to your right that are ready and willing to pray with you. For the rest of us, I'm going to release you to go grab the elements. If you have trusted in Jesus, we come to this table and grab the bread and the cup and bring it back and I'll lead us to communion together, okay? Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.